Hey, I'm Andrew Dobie. And I'm Lewis Phillips. Welcome to episode 12 of Just a Chat With, a video podcast series where we talk about branding and creativity with the world's best in class. Last last month, even, we sat down with James White, a.k.a. Signal Noise, at our brand new Made Brave studio in Glasgow. Uh, Go have a listen to that one if you haven't already. Before that, we had design legend Michael Wolfe on the show. We've recently had Gavin Strange from Ardman Animations, um, as well as brand legend Martin Neumeyer, Noah Klokek from Pixar, and Jack Rennick from Jack Rennick Studio. Today, we're here with James Greenfield, who is the creative director and founder of branding agency Koto, which is in its fifth year, has offices here in London, Berlin, and Los Angeles. James has 18 years of experience in the industry, working with brands such as Skyscanner, Fanta, Venmo, Airbnb, and many, many more. James is also a global speaker and a frequent writer on branding for the Creative Review magazine. James, thanks for having us. No problem. Thanks for asking me. Cool. So I suppose, you know, we always like to start off, um, you know, we've described you, but it's kind of interesting to hear people, um, how they talk about what they do and um, kind of describe yourself, if that's okay. Wow, how do you describe yourself? Uh, so yeah, I think uh, as a as a kind of leader of a lot of very talented and interesting people, um, trying to ha- help companies in the world stand out and try and find something that's unique about themselves, I think branding is an interesting uh, topic to talk to because if you talk to the person in the street, you inevitably end on logos uh, and you never want to move away from the fact that a great logo is an important thing as a signifier, but obviously it's also much more than that. But we're also writing it and changing it. So I think, you know, as a way of describing myself, I think mainly trying to make sure that the connection between the team that works at Kota across our three studios and the people that kind of reach out to work with us works in the most successful way possible. So that's a pretty multifaceted role. Yeah. So you've had a pretty meteoric rise for Koto. Do you want to talk us through kind of that journey and um, as I, I suppose where, where, where you started in design and how you've got to where you are today? Yeah, so I think for me, you know, when you talk to your family and parents, they have a probably a clearer reflection about what you were like as a child versus what you remember. And, you know, for me, I've never had the greatest memory, so I can't remember it. But my dad, when he was around, used to tell a story that he could remember me in my teenage years, start always talking about starting a creative company and it always being an ambition. I can't really remember that far back and I can't really remember that being being a thing, but he... he How assu- old are you now? Uh, I'm 41 now. And, and, and he assured me that uh, that was something that, that I had talked about. But I think in my 20s, I had started to think that I would want to one day have a company and had spent a lot of time working for some other amazing people and I was very lucky to work with some very good companies and had always thought, you know, if I was going to do this, how would I do it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm not really a uh, shrinking violet. I've always been one of the louder people in the room, so therefore I think it always may suit my personality as well for me to think that. But when I think when it came to actually starting a company, it took me quite a while to get there because, A, I was doing some really good stuff. So I was lucky enough to work at companies like Man Versus Machine and Design Studio and, you know, great projects come in. You get sucked into those projects and you really enjoy what you're doing. And I've always been lucky to do a bit of travel as well. And so you think, you know, of all the people in the world, I'm pretty lucky. I get to go to places around the world, work on really interesting stuff. Yeah, it's hard work. Sometimes I've had to, you know, put the hours in to get the results, but it's been always good. But I think what really spurred Koto to exist was that we'd done, or I'd done with various people I'd worked with, some some great projects, and but I'd started to see this change that was required. And I think the change was 
about how companies were changing. You know, I think it had gone from this world where there was probably a few big brands that we all interacted with that we are, you know, and some of them we loved and some of them we didn't. And there was some stuff around the edges. And, you know, if people were into certain youth cultures, there was, you know, for me, I'm, when I was growing up, Burton Snowboards was always something that I just thought was amazing mm. as, as a brand. And, you know, living in a slightly quiet corner of England, the idea of going to Canada and going snowboarding would have been absolutely incredible. But instead, of, well, I was lucky if I got a week in the Alps. But, you know, it's this brand that was amazing to me. But beyond that, there wasn't a lot of other amazing brands. And I think as the kind of 2000s went through and then the beginning of the 2010s, that was really changing. And so we started the company based upon this idea that if companies are changing and the way that you start companies and how they exist in the world is, then branding needs to change. And I didn't really feel like branding was changing. I felt like, you know, there's been some amazing companies, a lot of them which I'm lucky enough to have kind of come out from the UK and so therefore I've been closely either worked for them or been influenced by them had a process that they were never really standing back from and going, why do we do it like this? You know, and it was always because at some point in your career, you've gone to work somewhere and it's like, we do a discovery phase, then we do a strategic phase, then we do this. And I'm not going to claim that we've revolutionized that or changed it particularly, but it's more that actually the way that you work with people and the output you have needs to be about that. And I think the other thing I also found as well was that, you know, the designers that we all looked up to or lionized or thought were amazing were the ones who probably had a bit more of a style and, you know, and people bought into that style and, and, you know, there was that world and they were probably working on smaller projects and were probably a bit more kind of like, I guess the, I never like this phrase, but the rock stars, if you like. Uh, and then you had the other side, which was, you know, if you're a big company, you need a corporate identity company to do your rebrand and you need it to be kind of done a certain way. And it needs to be like super professional and slick and, you know, beautiful moments in those projects, but they, there was nothing in between. There was these two worlds. You're either big, do big projects, creativity suffers a bit because it's a system and it's got to work through, or you're small and it's amazing and it's the details are awesome, but you're never going to get to work on the big stuff. And to me, that just felt like a really crazy status quo where it's, it's like, yeah. well, where's the middle? What, you know, why can't we have the craft of those smaller people that I grew up loving versus those big jobs which have real impact? And so that was essentially our proposal was let's do a third way. It's probably going to be a bit harder because we're going to have to put a bit more effort in. We'll have to convince some people that we're the right people to do it. And we'll probably have to think about getting people into the team that are willing to also accept that challenge and think yeah. about the way that's done that. So starting Koto was very much about that right down to the name, which comes from an article I was reading in the Japan Times, and just to be clear, I'm not a regular Japan <laughs> Times reader. Uh, it just popped up on my social feed one day. I can't even remember who shared it. But anyway, it was with Ken Yahara, the really well-regarded Japanese designer. And in it, he talked about the importance of Koto, as he called it, in the 20th century. And that idea of Koto was this idea of something needing much more than just being like a single plane. It doesn't need to just look good. It needs to be the experience of it as well. And that really resonated with me. And it, it's as a classic thing in life, someone's always said it better than you. And I was like, well, that's good. <laughs> I know you sometimes hear amazing quotes online. You're like, damn, why, 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 why can I phrase things in those ways? Well, that's that's <laughs> what I think. Why is that? Uh, yeah. So, um, so yes. And so, you know, and, and in that way, it was also four letters long, which is great. And no one else has called it. So it really worked. Uh, but yeah, so I think in that I was, that's what our kind of starting thought was, was and that's why we kind of came to doing it. You know, for me personally, I come to the end of being a creative director for a reasonable amount of time by then and uh, knew that I needed another challenge as well to add into the mix. Cool. So, so you, you had like this kind of almost like vision and new proposition. In the early days of Kota, did you find it easy to explain and did you, how did you find people 
like kind of reacted to it? I think one of the good things about waiting a little bit longer to start a company was that I think me personally, I probably found it a bit easier when we when we first started because I think I'd been so used to explaining other companies' propositions, both when I'd been at like all the way back to when I used to work at a company called Proud Creative, uh, Mambus Machine, Design Studio, in all those situations, I'd done a lot of uh, a lot of new business meetings, a lot of kind of like exploratory stuff with potential clients, and so in a way you kind of flex that muscle so much that it's not so hard. But but what I also did is I also had something to react against to, which was my own way of doing it or our own way of doing it. So at first, none of the challenge was explaining the proposition, you know, and we've, we've been quite lucky. It's always resonated on that front. It's the challenge was convincing people that didn't have a portfolio. That mm-hmm. was the real challenge, yeah. which was like, you know, so who have you done this for? Well, no one actually, because we've only been going for like a month and a half. You know, that was, that's the, and I'm sure you guys felt that when you started your agency, yeah. that is the hill that you have to climb up at the beginning. But I think if you've got your, your story sharpened, then that's a whole lot easier as well. Yeah. And I suppose in that first year, um, often creative people, you know, as being some, um, can can sometimes struggle with all the, the, the business side, the challenges of actually setting up a business, running a business, structuring that and building that kind of robust engine underneath the creativity. Um, was that something that came naturally to you? You know, is that something that you've got in a co-founder or how did you approach that challenge? So we've got two co-founders, Joey, who's creative director, who now lives in LA and runs our LA studio and Caroline, who's managing director. So there's definitely sharing that was is massively key and i can't imagine starting a studio on my own i think that would be probably overwhelming at times the other component to it was i think was removing my own ego from the process so i've never really felt compelled to go down the model of like being the person that has the idea and then a team execute it And and i think for a lot of creatives they have and there's no criticism in this but they have this itch they need to scratch which is like i need to do this the reason i want my own agency is i want to be released from you know the shackles of working for someone else or you know and and kind of do things my own way that wasn't ever really my driving force in it so therefore i think in that way me spending like a whole day working on the business side of things it didn't feel like i was getting torn away from the creative side of things because i ultimately see it as part of the same thing and so in that way i think i'm kind of lucky on that front which is you know I, i don't I don't ever imagine doing a portfolio for James Greenfield ever again. I can't, I I don't have that need within me, you know, and so therefore on that front, I think it has given me the mental space to be able to do the business side of things, understand the sales process, team structure, spend time on, you know, working with team development and all that kind of stuff, which you have to do to be successful. But there is also no book on how to do it, so you have to learn along the way. And there is actually a really interesting thing as an industry. I think we do have scant resources when it comes to development of kind of creative people. And I'm not saying creative people are unique, but they are, there is a different process to any other business book you can buy, which is you know a bit more of a kind of binary process of like, this is the right way of doing things. You need to do this, you need to do that. Whereas we're essentially dealing with chaos. And if you stop, if you stop the chaos, the creativity goes. And so it's accepted chaos. So it's... It's pretty, put it. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty challenging, that that kind of chaotic part. I think that's why a lot of people get tired of being agency owners as well, because it is so chaotic. It's not tiring at all. Not tiring at all. <laughs> yeah, Can we right. just go to sleep here for the next five minutes? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, it sounds like you, you kind of run Koto in a very, like, quite a flat, collaborative, democratized way. You know, you mentioned that you don't really hero individuals. Um, how, do you, how do you foster, like, that kind of culture? Because I suppose, like, creatives are sometimes precious and a big part of being a creative is ego and 
subjectivity. Yeah, I think, look, I'm not going to claim we're perfect and there isn't like any ego or anything like that because that's just <laughs> folly. But I think what we're trying to do here is really imbue the idea, and this is the team will be definitely bored of hearing this, which is no piece of design can ever be greater by one person than a team because a team will always bring something else to it now that's not saying design by committee but it's about understanding that if one person's come up with like an approach or, or like an idea or something adding someone else's thoughts into that will always like turbocharge it drive it into that next thing and so i think if you have that as the north star of the thing that you think that's what we want to do we want to make sure this is a team effort and think about it then we all come around to it in the end it might be a bit rocky across the way there might be disagreements etc we don't really argue as a studio i've worked in studios where people have shouted at each other that's we're not really that vibe but you know there is passion around that i think for me as well it's also about knowing when it is democratic versus when it's not there is no no doubt there are moments where this is a benevolent dictatorship and that you know everyone's i'm always really clear about that as well because ultimately we have to keep velocity you know no one comes to us with unlimited money unlimited time everyone comes to us with limited budget <laughs> limited time and they're they've always always maybe sat on their hands a little bit of the time front so mm -hmm. we're always chasing our tails a little bit but you know the world doesn't stand still so i think on that front we have to accept that and the only way to get through that limited time limited budget thing is do it together and try and kind of think about the process and how you can reinvent it which bits can you tailor which bits can you edit etc etc try and avoid it become a formula as well because i think that's another thing that you can fall into which is like well we've got the formula crap now look at all that great work that's done like let's kind of push it even further and i'll you know it's not a product business it's, yeah exactly yeah. yeah person x can do that and person y can do that whereas actually if you mix it up all the time then you're going to keep on getting that space around it so um lewis and i are big believers in kind of values driven business and yep. sort of values and purpose driven business and we you know in our agencies we've integrated and sort of i suppose built out our brands from the inside out in terms of um having those strong values to guide us it seems from reading the content on koto and kind of reading your story that you you're also have a similar viewpoint um I'm, I'm interested just to understand how much or importance you feel values and purpose um sort of live and brand in today's world so i think you know there's been some big business leaders recently that have come out have started talking about purpose that you know companies that have previously only cared about profit are suddenly talking about e ecological components you know investing strategies for large investment firms you know things like fossil fuels etc i think that is a wind of change which talks to something that maybe us in the softer world have been talking about for a long time which is create a purpose create collectivity around it create that idea of belonging you'll go further you'll you know you'll have greater results and stuff i think traditionally our industry has maybe treated people as human capital a little bit and you know and there's a lot of designers out there and you know we we're lucky enough to come from a country which has a great broadly great design education and so there is a lot of very talented people coming out every yeah. year and i think it can be easy to just take that for granted and so i think in do it working for Koto or, or creating Koto. I wanted to be clear about the idea that this is a values driven business. We do look after the team. We understand that, you know, there's one side to it is, which is, it is just the right thing to do. And, you know, and I can go to bed every night and know that I've done, done the right thing on that front. The second side of it is, I think from a business point of view, it makes complete sense for us to have low staff turnover. You know, we've been going five years and only three people have ever left Koto, you know, and, it's so kind of makes such more stability around what we're doing and the way that we're working together because 
we constantly tweak it, constantly change, constantly listening to people. You know, it's not a case of writing a flashy, a flashy purpose phrase, sticking it on the wall and going, don't forget that, that's what we're all doing. It's more that kind of soft touch day in, day out, kind of making sure that people collectively build around that. You know, I'm not about to spot test people on what the Koto values are. I'm sure half of them wouldn't even be able to tell you, but it's more about like understanding how you imbue those values into people and think about that. I think it's a very surprising business in the 2020s that's in creativity that doesn't understand that purpose has to be at the core of what we do. Yeah. Our biggest job now is advocating that to our clients that we work with to understand how it fits into their businesses as well. Because some of them do very practical stuff, you know, and purpose-driven is is working if you are making manifest change to the world. But if you're delivering something that's been the same for the last 50 years, how, yep. how does purpose pass the bullshit test? It's quite challenging. Have you, um, it'd be good to talk about like some of the milestones so far of Koto, which is now five. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, so yeah, started it five years ago, which is in a way doesn't feel like long, but also I can't remember what it felt like to not do it. So, you know, I'm sure you guys feel similar. I think for me, the milestones have been, there's some really interesting ones. I think you've got physical space. So the, we started off sharing with some illustrators and designers we knew and uh it was freezing in the uh, in the winter and at the time joey and i were living together and our internet was so bad in there that if we wanted to do image reference searching we had to go home on the train do a google image search download everything to take it back to the studio to then use it sounds easy yeah exactly yeah and you're just after a while you're like right this is not really working but we're only we're only there for a little while and then we got off first space and so i think i can then i think through all those spaces that we've been yeah, and chapters, you know yeah. amazing stuff like first time i went to the berlin studio and mm-hmm. i hadn't chosen the space i hadn't really been there before and stuff and it and you walk in there and it's lovely and you think well this is great or you know the first time that uh we opened our la studio as well you're like this is crazy you know you're in um culver city where all the movie studios are and you know and you, you, you can't help but be in la without that kind of slight hollywood thing and you're like, right, there's some idiots from uh, UK here doing some branding in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about us. Um, so there's all that stuff. I think there's the client kind of components. So I remember there's a guy called James who used to work at Coca-Cola who became a bit of an advocate for us there. And the day that he rang up and told us that he wanted us to pitch for the, the Fanta rebrand was a pretty big thing. You know, there's... Yeah, nice one. Yeah, there's like <laughs> four or five of us at that moment in time. And we were doing, like, we were working quite hard because we were trying to build something. And then suddenly you've got a pitch to rebrand <laughs> Fanta. And uh, Joey and I just by chance had gone to New Zealand for a job that we'd been commissioned to go over there. And so we, we were working in New Zealand during the day. And then in the evening, we were working on the pitch for Fanta in this Airbnb that the host had failed to note didn't have any heating and it was winter in New Zealand at the time. So that was a, seems to be like a heating theme going on here. Um, (laughs) And then like things like, uh, you know, certain American companies we've worked with, you know, brands that we've worked with over there that, you know, that you find yourself getting the call, the email, doing the work, seeing it out in the world and stuff like that. So I think for me, all of those are the landmarks which really stand up. But then there's other different landmarks, like a couple of years ago, the whole team went to Ibiza for a summer party and you look out and there's like two boats and everyone's on the two boats and you're like, wow, this worked. What have I done? Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. <laughs> Who's buying the drinks? Yeah. No. Um, so yeah, you just, and so there's those kind of landmark moments that really stick out on that front. But for me, I think it's, I've 
I've got this absolutely maniacal thing which I always want the work to be better. And so the, for me, it's when the work comes out. They're the things that I always, um, you know, and then go on the internet and then everyone's really horrible about it. So <laughs> never read the comments. Yeah, <laughs> the internet can be a dark place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Only yeah. read the positivity. Yeah, well. um, jumping back to Fanta, um, you know, for some of the younger viewers, listeners, um, I, I remember being young at one point, <laughs> a long time ago. Um, but like when you when you hear of people rebranding Fanta and you, that kind of project when you're a young designer, you're like, you feel like you can never get there. And I suppose, you know, if you're okay to talk about it, you know, yeah. can you, you know, kind of talk a little bit about how, you know, how that came about and kind of what that process looked like for you and kind of just shine a little bit of a light on how the, you know, how, how long do these projects run out for you and kind of what's yeah. involved? Because that was early days, wasn't it? That yeah, was, that was, yeah. yeah, that was in like year one, which yeah. is quite crazy, really. So basically, when we first started, I'd kind of a activated the network, if you call it that, which is like just talk to everybody, you know, gone to see loads of people people I'd used to work with, trying to like connect stuff. And we were really lucky. We got some bits early on, which were really good projects. And, you know, one of the first things we did was for a um, company called Super High, which does really cool online stuff. And, you know, we did their identity quite quick and they were in a hurry as well. But it's still one of those pieces of work that I'm really happy with and I really like it. But off the back of that, there was um, someone that I'd just been friendly with on Twitter, another designer we'd been talking to. And he, uh, he'd been working with Coca-Cola, on a lot of stuff and still does and uh they'd been working on this emoji project where they were attempting to make some emojis for coca-cola and my understanding at the time was that they kind of been a few rounds round and nothing had really resonated and they were doing it and uh matt had just said oh, you should try koto you know they're new they'll probably do something good on it and so we got given this emoji project and we did like a few rounds and it went really well and they really like the work and it's apparently on cans all over Asia and stuff these days. But it's, that's one of those things where we did it and we were like, it made the asset, delivered it. And then like a year later, I was walking through London and there was a billboard with this thing that said like the London Happiness Index and our emojis were all floating around it and stuff. So that's one of those things. Anyway, having done that, Coke then said like, we've, you know, we've got some other stuff we'd love you to look at. And so we thought, okay, yeah, cool. What, you know, and you think, well, it's probably going to be similar scale, kind of like smaller like stuff that might be part of something. <laughs> and then you get a phone call on a Friday and I was working late on a Friday in our old studio and it's James rings up and goes yeah I think I'm going to add you to the pitch list for Fanta and you're a bit like whoa right what Fanta uh, and <laughs> that so, Fanta yeah that Fanta oh yeah that you know yeah. that really big orange drink um, and so we were like well obviously we'd love to do that so we got added to the pitch list didn't really know how many other people were pitching or anything about it I seem to remember and it's quite a while ago now so it's hard to really you know it's probably all a bit kind of like blurred but we had like a week or two just to do some ideas. And so we, ourselves, and then also we got some friends who we'd worked with previously to kind of gave them some freelance money and said, look, we just need like an ideas blast here. Yeah. And we just smashed through like a week or two of ideas, built it out into this deck, presented it to them. And a part of me at that time thought, we're just going to create some ideas that maybe someone bigger is going to execute. And we're just there to kind of maybe be like a bit of a kind of like disruptor that's going to, you know, kind of throw some stuff out there and, at the time, I can't remember how much we got paid for it, but I remember it was like, compared to everything else we'd done, we were like, that's absolutely amazing amount of money. Uh, and we were, you know, we both, Joey and I, who were designing back then, had both kind of like dropped our wages massively to start this thing. And so it was very much, you know, soup from Tesco you can and eat stuff. again. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. And uh, so on, and on that front, we just did those. And you think, well, where's that going to go? Anyway, we won it. And then, it, so the first stage of work was like six months. And that was... There was a 3D bottle that had been created by another company. 
Um, we got sent some of those. Uh, funny story about that was <laughs> we got sent this top secret bottle and uh, someone stuck it in the recycling because they just thought it was like an empty drinks bottle. Uh, <laughs> it's no. like, God, let's probably have, probably have that out of the recycling. Um, and yeah, so, and then the first stage was very much trying loads of different things. And we did loads of rounds of like stuff that was a little bit more revolutionary, stuff that was a bit more handmade, etc. And off the back of that, we had like a number of routes on the table. We then went to Atlanta and did a workshop with people from around the world that have various job titles like head of sparkling and stuff like that, which I'm kind of envious as a job title, and uh, got them to kind of go through this really laborious workshop process for two days to understand what it stood for. Yeah, Came out the back of that, and then, then the rest of it was kind of like 18 months, and we touched everything from what it looks like on the fountains in McDonald's versus we realized how many flavors there were, and that was quite... Uh, full on and yeah, at that point you go god why did we decide to make this out of paper because suddenly you're like trying to make a guana which looks a bit like an eyeball and it's a, <laughs> and it's a brazilian thing yeah, out yeah, of paper yeah. and then you know you're getting loads of feedback about like it doesn't look very guana like and i'm like yeah <laughs> i appreciate that but i've never seen one so i'm trying to like <laughs> learn what a guana is at the same time yeah. and so we just ended up doing and for ages and then we were really lucky we worked with colophon to make a typeface for fanta which you kind of see used globally now and the thing that's amazing about Fanta is that obviously it's massive, it's a global brand, and sometimes we'll just, one of the team will have a bit of a Google or whatever, and there was this thing in Switzerland recently where they turned our brand into all these massive inflatables, and it's all printed mm. on everything, and the font that you've done is on like surfboards and all this stuff, and you're like, right, blimey, that's like... It's always that. the best bit, isn't it, seeing yeah. it out in the wild. Yeah, yeah totally, or it drives past you at Halloween with a bus with the font you designed all on yeah. it and stuff like that. So, and so, yeah, it's about two years' work. And yeah. for us, it was really good because it was a really nice, big piece of work, yeah. which meant that from a financial point of view, we had something that we could do. But also from a team point of view, people, when they kind of joining mm. us, because at that point, we started hiring people. They had something really exciting to start with. And so I think it really set the tone of the company early on. Um, but in terms of how you get jobs like that, like the biggest thing I've learned in the last 10, 15 years is that new business is the most kind of organic crazy thing in the world one person you met once remembers you somehow yeah. and sends an email to person x and says you should talk to these people and you're always a bit like wow right okay and i, I think there's a lot of agencies out there that probably spend tons of time and money on new business people and prospectors and all that kind of stuff it's that chaos thing again it's just not mm -hmm. like that yeah and so sometimes like four years ago five years ago yeah. you've met someone for that brief second and it comes back mm. you know isn't it it's or another designer recommends you all the time, which happens way more than I ever thought would happen. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you put the Fanta can behind there. Do you want to show it to just people yeah. watching? One of many. One of many. Uh, that's an Israeli one, I think that one. And then uh, <laughs> my favourites are the ones from the Far East, which are frankly bonkers. But yeah, <laughs> the same quite nice. Went to very sparkling. Went to Japan recently, and there's just like some. Uh, yeah, we, 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 we don't seem to have a, a, a huge amount of Fanta flavours here, do we? We get the short no. straw over here. Definitely. There's other bits of the world I absolutely love it. Yeah, when you go to Spain, there's like 100 on, yeah. the, on the shelf. I think, it, I think it suits the hot weather down there. Yeah, true. Yeah, totally. Um, so, do you, I mean, do you think Fanta was the kind of catalyst for a lot of the growth in that early... It was no, it was, it was, the thing was, because we didn't get to talk about it for ages, yeah. it kind of wasn't because mm. we were doing it, but we couldn't talk about it and it took a long while for it to come out. We got the Gumtree rebrand quite early on as well, mm. which mm. was, you know, is a surprisingly big brand. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of people, it's Gumtree something they think of and they've used and stuff. But yeah. when we worked with them, we looked at their user numbers and they're absolutely massive. You know, it's like t top 20 website in the UK at that oh, time yeah. when we rebranded mm. them. So, you know, a massive amount of traffic. And so that was a really key one for us because in winning that, which we won at pitch and then doing it, we had 
a case study that we could go to people and go, you know, we've done this. Yeah. It proves the process. It talks about stuff like that. So in a way, that was actually bigger than Fanta. Mm. Mm. So um, I suppose like, um, you know, running an agency now, you, you mentioned earlier, you always kind of thought you would run a creative studio or some point. Did you always feel creative as a child? Um, it's an interesting one. Yeah, again, it's like you kind of your memory tricks you a bit. I think I don't think I was the classic kid that was always drawing. <laughs> I think you know you heard I heard I've you know listened to plenty of podcasts, seen plenty of talks where you know the, the person tells the story of like you know from three years old I had a pencil and I never put it down, so I always knew <laughs> I'd do that kind of stuff. I think I was always interested in stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always interested in like 3D stuff, the way things existed, the way things worked. I'm a reasonably practical person, so I think I was interested in like mechanical sides of things and stuff like that. But I think at the school I went to, it was very academically focused. And as an undiagnosed dyslexic at that time, mm-hmm. I always found, I don't know, a bit of me probably just gave up trying to match those that were kind of like, you know, heading for wherever. And so for me, I've kind of was always interested in the alternative stuff. I also grew up in quite a rural place in the 1990s where the world was a bit suffocating, but I wasn't a million miles away from London. And so you knew something was happening. And so uh, it was back in those days, things like the Face magazine, which would be in my local news agency. It'd be stuff like that that would always catch my attention. And I'd be like, that's interesting. What's that about? You know, and so for me, I think it was exposure to that and then subsequently after that in my teenage years just massively obsessed with music now literally the worst singer in the history of the world have no musical ability in my life and so a way to be connected to music was visual identity stuff and so very interested in like record sleeves record sleeve designers it's an absolute cliche but it is the is the fact of the matter um and so in all of that i had kind of found the idea of creativity but i wouldn't say i was like the classic person you know and then the third component is i had two very out there art teachers at school who were pretty avant-garde and would like show you weird stuff and like you know would really like and they filled my brain with a lot of crazy stuff (laughs) Mm -hmm. and in doing that I think that's where I it was a combination of all those things together which is why I think for me branding works quite well because it is like an understanding in the world cultural significance how all those things work and then applying creativity to it rather than necessarily just the kind of pure art or design of it i think you know a lot of people end up in our industry and it's actually about their own creative expression now obviously that is important but for me i'm much more interested in influencing culture and cult the way cultures come together etc mm. etc mm. so yeah kind of like a semi-creative i also wanted to be a fighter pilot for a while which is a bit weird now and i'm one of those things i was really glad i didn't do because my life would be very different <laughs> that's because at school there used to be that test and there was only like five jobs on it you could yeah. be a fighter pilot a doctor a lawyer a, yeah you know there was like it's exactly that i i remember my uh, that test came out for me as a leather technologist and uh, i was just like what is that that's rubbish and uh, my careers team she said well what do you want to be and I was like about 15 or 16 and I went I want to be a graphic designer and you went well no one's ever earned any money being a graphic designer <laughs> and I was like right okay it's <laughs> funny how like a, a, a teacher can like really inspire or really kill something like I, like I got a C in higher art and my, my art teacher just didn't like me for some reason they said you've got no idea about colour you'll never do anything creative and I'm like you know you know, that could have killed every piece of creativity in you you know yeah. if you're not careful so um, yeah, yeah they don't realise their power in a way do they yeah, it's a, it's crushing a... dreams left right and centre <laughs> <laughs> totally totally how, um, how do you keep a balance you know running a business can be quite a consuming thing like yeah my best solution to ha- keeping a balance so far is having a child 
and then mm, therefore you can't balance yeah you, you like it's forced balance yeah. uh before i had a child it was really hard yeah. yeah and because it's enjoyable and so therefore it's like well i can sit on the, the sofa and watch tv which you know there isn't that much great tv in the world or i can go and do the other thing which i really like doing mm. and is always there and always on and when you're working around the world as well it really is always on do you mm -hmm. know what i mean it's like you can quite often wake up to a lot of emails and like stuff that's happening etc cetera, etc cetera. so that has been a big challenge mm -hmm. and will continue to be a big challenge but i think yeah, having my son recently has definitely been the thing where it's like you want to not be staring at your computer or a screen you want to mm -hmm. be engaging with him but you have to detrain yourself because there's definitely one thing i've learned in the last 12 months is i'm addicted to my smartphone mm -hmm. so i need to mm -hmm. work quite heavily on that yeah. How old your son? Uh, he's eight months. So. Eight months. Oh wow, you're right in the. Yeah, I'm right at the start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the feeling my age as well. It, it, that, that first six months is really hard. The first year and a half's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> Gets easier after a year and a half. I promise. Yeah, good. <laughs> um, yeah. No. Um, that that kind of um, that smartphone addiction thing is quite interesting. It's like I think something probably all we we all struggle with now and. Um, you know, you, you're constantly bombarded, you know, like I sometimes feel really overwhelmed and, you know, me and Lewis have talked about that. Keenan here who's filming. Hey, Keenan. Hey. <laughs> um, you know, but like, you know, you're bombarded with stuff all the time and, it, you know, it's quite difficult in today's world and, you know, almost like we're kind of part of the problem in terms of like we're creating a lot of that noise with the digital assets with recording a podcast, right? This is, this is pinging up on someone's phone right now. Um, you know, that balance thing, you know, very early on in when we were when I was creating Made Brave and, um, you know, I, I decided at one point um, I'm not going to check emails after six o'clock at night because, you know, as you know, running a business, you get a lot of good emails, you get a lot of challenging ones. Right. And you know, what I realized was that when you get a challenging email at night, suddenly um, you've read that this maybe ruins your family time because you're thinking about that. You're consumed. You maybe don't sleep and then you can't do anything about it to the next day. And I think there's something nice and leaving those, you know, if you can turn that off at night and leave it till the morning, you can then action stuff. And I'm just interested, I suppose, anything you've found to help create that balance of family life and, you know, understanding that kind of addiction to this stuff and, you know, any practical tips that you've got for managing balance or... I think, well, I'm not sure I've got anything good on practical tips. I think we're, what you're talking there is about is something that I'm quite fascinated, which is, you know, there's a lot of stuff at the moment about turning your phone off limiting your screen time etc and you know that's born of a good thought and a good idea but i actually think what we need to do is have a bit more thought about what role technology is playing in our lives and not this idea of bad technology which i think is growing with people which is like tech is bad and it's like well it's not fundamentally because it's done a load of amazing stuff yeah. you know and access to information is incredible and has never been better you know the connection that you can feel with people around the world particularly for people that maybe live in isolated spaces or whatever is awesome as well i think for me it's about understanding what role technology plays in our lives and being a bit more nuanced with it so some basic stuff I've done is I've like, you know, my exercise apps and my stuff that is about kind of like more positive stuff mm. lives it lives in a better place. Whereas, you know, my Twitter addiction is less fed if it's slightly harder to find on my phone and it's got a limit on top of it, you know. Mm. And that's not to say that Twitter's bad because there's a lot of amazing stuff on Twitter, but it is very easy to get sucked down a hole and lose an hour. And before you know it, you're like... Mm. All I got was some people shouting about politics and that was about it, which always seems to manage to find itself into your feed, however much you don't follow those people. Um, so I think for me, I think that's going to be the big challenge of the 2020s is understanding how technology plays. And, you know, and this like we do, we've done a reasonable amount of work in the travel space, you know, and people being able to research, look for, find 
vacations, experiences, holidays online, mm-hmm. I genuinely believe has led to a quality of holidays or time away never being higher. You know, people are building amazing businesses all over the UK, Europe, America, where you can go and stay in amazing quirky little houses mm. you know some are in a tree some people converting all this amazing stuff that wouldn't have existed without the internet because you yeah. would have had to market the hell out of that whereas now all you need is the right reviewer the right person to go there good search algorithm you can find it and stuff and so i think yeah that's the kind of thing where digital i think is having a brilliant impact on our life but we forget all that because we see the fact that our kids watched you know one hundred eighty thousand hours of peppa pig and we have a breakdown <laughs> about it because we're worried that they've watched so much peppa pig it so I think there's a bit more of a nuance that needs to come into it all a bit, and people need to think about it in a bit, bit more of a bit more of a clearer way. And for me, I think that piece is just going to grow and grow. I also think there's a big kind of branding component to that as well, which is like how do we build the narrative around these products and these ideas that people are having? Because the genie isn't going back in the box. No, you know, exactly, yeah. I can watch. <laughs> I can watch my eight-month-old trying to pick my iPhone up, and he's already trying to work out how to unlock it. And that's literally—he can't speak yet, but he can do that. That is insane. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy, isn't it? it? Just seems to come natural to them. Just yeah. <laughs> they can just sit. So you know, someone got the UX good. <laughs> We've kind of been talking about it generally, but it'd be cool to hear about like what, um, like I suppose, trends and revolutions you can see happening. Um, you know, we're in a new decade, and you work with a lot of brands, and probably think about this a lot. So I think for me, one thing that's really definitely happening, which is really interesting, is I think there was a generation of stuff where we put things on the internet and it was amazing that it existed on the internet. That's not enough anymore. You know, it, you know, there was a time where you could, I can search for a flight or I can, you know, get a bank account or I can do these things and it worked, worked quite well. Whereas now, I think we're in this next trend, which is like, how do I acknowledge this existing within people's lives? How do I acknowledge all of the components of like, how can I blend this information together? How can I? And so I think from a point of view on that front, I think a lot of the companies we work with are thinking about how that exists in that space. And so, you know, we work with a company called Fat Llama and I think the lazy way of explaining is it's like Airbnb for stuff. So you can borrow people's stuff online. You know, there's some amazing information out there in the world about the fact that, you know, a drill gets used for 16 minutes a year yeah a lot of people have just got one sat in their house it's like why can't we borrow our neighbors how can we think about things in, in that kind of way and so i think a trend we're going to see is rather than the kind of last period we've had which is you know email and all of these things that got existed it'll be much more engaging and kind of like how this has impact in people's lives what's it doing and, and so i think the next wave of successful companies are going to have to have that real kind of story component sorted out so you mm-hmm. can really start about that because there's no doubt the novelty's worn off you know everyone just completely takes it for granted we go online we do a thing yeah. that's it um but also the world isn't quite talking about it in the right way it's like you know the media are obsessed with the death of the high street but all of us could reach out to our family and friends and go how do you do your christmas shopping and almost everybody would say majority online you know even people that are probably a bit more kind of luddite and even those that enjoy shopping still do lots of online shopping and stuff so you know, how we understand that change and the impact of it is is going to be the big trend, I think. And I think branding's got a big part to play on that because mm. we are going to have empty city centres and so we're going to have to have a bit of a think about what we're going to do with them for starters. Mm-hmm. More pub. 
Well, perhaps, yeah. <laughs> yeah, more nights out. Um, you, spoke, you spoke at the beginning um, that like, um, a, a logo is part of a brand. It's yeah. not a whole brand. Um, now, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here just to ask you like, kind of what your definition of brand is. It's quite a hard thing, and everyone kind of has a different way of seeing it. And a lot of our guests, um, you know, have had quite interesting ways of putting it. I'm just interested, you know, how you describe brand in today's world and what, what that means. Going back to the idea that someone has always said it better than you, I'm going to go down that route, which is uh, Jeff Bezos, which is kind of ironic because he hasn't got a very good brand, but he uh, says that a brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. And I think that's a really nice definition for me. I love that one. I yeah. use that all the time. I use that in all my talks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and for me, I think it just sums it up. I think yeah. there's a secondary part to that, which I, which is kind of comes from me a bit more, which is I think of as a brand of, as a moat, which is, you know, Anyone can copy your business. You know, mm-hmm. we could sit down now with some laptops and go, right, what, what are we going to do? We're going to do a shoe business. We need to get stock. We need to, you know, build an e-commerce site, et cetera, et cetera. What makes people go to a certain place is the design of the shoes, the product, you think about it. And a brand is no different. I think, you know, a lot of the brands that we work with might have similar services to other people. And so what we're trying to do is build that defendable territory around it, which makes That's something nice. really stand out. Mm-hmm. So for me, I think like Airbnb, which myself and Joe were part of the rebrand team in 2013. And then subsequently they work with us here as a client. I think if we get all the travel brands in the world and stick it on the wall, Airbnb really stands out. Mm -hmm. And that was our intent in 2013. And it still stands in 2020. And that is their defendable moat. You know, that is what makes you go like, well, you know, if I go on Airbnb, there'll be a lot kind of more experience. It'll be more rich. It'll Mm -hmm. be, you know, it'll be so different in that way. And the brand is really communicating that with, with us. And so, I think true uniqueness is hard because mm-hmm. let's be honest, most things have been done, but I think feeling unique in some component or some way is one of my driving forces when I think about what a brand is. Yep. And the logo is just the identifying component of that. You know, I think there are great logos in the world, but they weren't necessarily all born great. Mm-hmm. Great. They, over time, a lot of them have become great. Yes, and, yeah, yeah. you know, I think it's a, it's a funny thing when we do a lot of naming as a company is that getting people to realize that the name wasn't necessarily brilliant on day one mm-hmm. you know if we're going to start a company that does uh, kind of computers that are four times as much as other computers i don't think we're going to call it apple mm-hmm. i think you know as a proposition on a bit of a4 paper in front of us we'd be like yeah probably not the best name it's not kind of getting the premium vibe it's not delivering yeah. everything else but you know it's staring at me from your laptop over there and it's great and it's a great logo and it works really well mm-hmm. and so for me i think a brand is understanding that it is emotions its values its visual mm. components it's all those things and i'm afraid for all the clients in the world no you can't measure it yeah <laughs> now we of, we often talk as well about the kind of the logo part um is, is much like a human it's the face it's the yeah. part that reminds you of all those other interactions yeah, yeah, totally. the, you know and um, the experiences you've had with that person their tone of voice their personality and all those other interactions so no i think that was a really nice definition that moat it's like that kind of um, that, that keeps that distance from competitors, isn't it? It's like if you can, if, you know, our job as designers and you know brand experts is not to is tell people, um, you know, you know what their brand is. It's trying to uncover it, isn't it? It's trying to figure out what's authentic to them and bring it to life for them. Um, so they've got it as that, you know, that nice piece. And you know, I think that's a, re- a really nice one. We we always use Jeff Bezos. It's a it's a it's a good example. Um, it's a belter, isn't it? It's a belter. <laughs> totally. You know, we always ask this as kind of one of the last questions for, um, you know, again, for the, the the younger people listening and, um, you know, you know, you're just starting into your 40s now and, you know, you've got a very successful agency and, um, you know, you, you, you'll be very inspiring to a lot of people, including us. Um, and I suppose um, 
thinking back to young James um, and young James getting started in this industry, it's a hard. It can be a hard industry to get in, and you've got to do a lot of graft. You've got to do a lot of hard work. Um, is there is there some practical tips that you would give younger you or younger? people listening yeah I, I had a bit of a hard start as well whereas I got a really good internship to start off with and then that kind of came to an end and they were a younger company and they weren't really looking to hire anyone at that moment in time and off the back of that I had a bit of a wilderness year or two where I just didn't really manage to connect anywhere mm-hmm. and I think at that time there was like you know where I reflect back on it there was a few things that were happening it was number one the dot-com boom had just kind of been and gone and so agencies mm-hmm. were struggling a bit because a lot of agencies had come to the fore around that time and yeah. there was a lot of stuff floating around and in those agencies going under which some like some big ones in London did go under I think people were just a bit spooked and so they went back mm. to kind of like the what they know mode um I think for me I had had gone through a degree which was good but I struggled with probably being one of the stronger people at the degree to suddenly mm. realizing that I was back to zero again and until yeah. I got somewhere I'd I kind of like had to prove something on that front and so I think my kind of number one advice is don't think about your portfolio or the work you're doing as a fixed asset I think one of the mistakes I made is I came out of uni I was like these are my projects I've got them and I was kind of like walking the pavement showing them to a lot of people and I could have spent that six months actually making a lot of them better and thinking about them again yeah and I I just thought about it as a fixed asset I didn't you know that well that's my uni work that's that's what it looks like it is what it is yeah I spent you know all that money getting it printed because in 2001 that's what you did mm-hmm. uh and the giant black folder yeah it was it wasn't quite it was, <laughs> was, was kind of like that big but yeah i found it the other day actually when i was looking for something but i think and so i think i thought about it as a fixed asset and i think especially now you know 19 years later it's uh it's not you've got digital ha- assets that you can amend and change and you, you know thinking about it as a living breathing thing which explains who you are because you know, when you're a younger designer, your change that you feel is so much more manifest because you're, you know, the day you leave uni versus six months later, you're probably so much more different than you are six months in your life once you're as old as me. And so I think that that piece there is is something to really think about. I think the 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 other piece of advice I'd give myself back there is think about the kind of communication and the story around why you like the work you do, why you've done that. <laughs> you know, I think it's really easy just to accept your tutors or whoever you've talked to or other companies you've worked at or whatever, their single piece of advice go, well, they've told me it, that must be it. It's the gospel. I'm going to go and activate against it. And we had some tutors that were very inspiring and very great, but were a little bit more old fashioned. And so they were telling us how to put things together in a way that probably belonged in the eighties rather than the two thousands. And I think I didn't have a chance to compare with anyone else because I only had my own course and so therefore I didn't really do my research to have a look and see how everyone else was doing everything and I think I really feel that at the moment as now as a creative director at Koto is that obviously I get a lot of emails a lot of stuff sent to us you know you get some weird stuff like not in this job but my last job someone turned up with a cake gave me a cake dressed up in a uniform and I was like what's this about it's a cake where's this cake from and then I got an email five minutes later and it goes that's me if you if you eat the cake my portfolio is in the cake and I was just like Jesus we've had so many of those I would believe we had someone dress up as um, Alice in Wonderland Uh, Uh, appeared at the door like like the Mad Hatter like like totally with the whole outfit on and we were like 
oh my god who who is that yeah. at the door and it was like someone had sent their husband dressed up as that yeah. you know presenting the cv keenan here actually he had a great one for how he applied at made brave keenan sent in crispy creme donuts crispy creme had just landed in glasgow at the time and under every single donut was uh something about keenan and uh oh, it, it worked it worked didn't it it's a good one it's a good one uh yeah it's a, so i think for me, I think a lot of that stuff probably distracted me at that mm-hmm. time as I was too busy thinking about the form rather than how I kind of like actually connect with people and think about what they need or what they want from me. And so I think that stuff is 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 what is all super important. But also, don't just carpet bomb everyone with exactly the same thing because it's really obvious that you've made this absolute carpet bomb and you're just like trying the numbers game and you're sending yeah. 200 people exactly the same piece of communication. So do you like that creative um, application, you know? I think I prefer just let the work speak for itself. I think, you know, we we have amazing digital tools at our hands. You know, you can make a really great presentation in Google Slides. Mm -hmm. You can send me a very short email that, to the point, talks to me about you. You don't need to tell me which of your which of our product projects you love. You know, I I know our own projects inside, and I'm very mm-hmm. I'm very happy you went on our website and had a look at that and wrote some mm-hmm. notes about it. But don't put it in my email because the biggest issue in my life is time. Yeah, I have I have I don't you know, and it's this, I'm not on my own. It's everyone's lives, and so therefore I don't have all day to read 300 word emails that have got like you know. Yeah. In-depth that's a big thing, isn't it? It's like keep it succinct. It's yeah. you know that's a really good tip, I suppose, from all of us. Is like yeah. keep it small and don't you know? I think if you if you apply for a studio, um, often you know we get hundreds of these emails every day, and don't let it put off if you, someone doesn't get back to you. Because yeah. if you just keep trying, it might be the the tenth, the eleventh, the twelfth time that it lands on the right day. Uh, yeah, totally. I think there's a thing that I was reading yesterday, which someone had said that the best way to do an email is a nine word email. I think there's there's a really reductive (laughs) Mm. approach in that, which is, it might be a really hard challenge, but you know, and it doesn't have to be nine words, but if you take, take the idea Mm. and then deliver in that kind of way, um, I think that's the best thing. But yeah, to your point, you, you got, you got to keep trying. I think the good side of it is there is never been a bigger need for creativity, whether you're a pure designer, whether you're motion, whether you're digital, whatever, you know, brands have got design teams that are so much bigger than they were five, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. And there's also a lot of great brands. And so therefore don't, doesn't have to be a studio. You can work, you know, if there's a tech company you absolutely love, go and work there. Cause God knows they'll have some amazing projects as well. And so think about, think about it in much more of a fluid way. I think on that front. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, James. Thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, real quick, before we go, we just want to give a shout out to underscore SJ Ward underscore, who rated us recently and wrote a review. Um, they said, I'm currently taking my graphic design degree and the podcast turns to many aspects in the creative field and it's a great listen when I'm doing my work. Also makes me want to try and do more creative work. Great work. Smiley face. Uh, so that's what what we like to hear so thanks for listening Um, you know we'd love more reviews help us get the word out Uh, please rate us and review us Um, and you know SJ Ward please uh, best of luck with your degree it's not easy but you'll get there Um, if anyone has any questions for me or Lewis make sure and ask us in social Um, you can also ask us any questions for any of our guests or recommend any guests that you'd like to see on the show If you like what you're hearing, as I mentioned, and you want to support us, please rate us, write a review, and help us get the word out. If you've been listening to the podcast on Google or Spotify, you can also watch the full version on YouTube. We publish a new episode on the last Monday of every month, so make sure you are subscribed, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. (laughs) 